Good. Happy New Year. Just for um, everybody's reference, Aaron might feel like he's stuck with me, but I am choosing you every day. <laughs> Just so you all know, because <laughs> I, anyways, um, happy new year. As we think about going into the new year, we have this propensity just to look forward, just to think about the future, but I want to give you a little discipleship tool before I get into the main part of the message. And that is to review your past year. To actually take some time and sit before the Lord, find a quiet spot. Sandy Library is great. There's some windows on the southwest or the northwest corner is where I go when I need to like not be here and not be home, but I need to spend some time with the Lord. I go over to that library and I just sit there and kind of hunker in those nice cozy chairs, but find some quiet space to review the past year. And you can review your planner, your day planner. You can review your photos, scroll through your photos. If you're a journaler, look through your journal journal, and do a few things. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you something about your life that you need to know. The Holy Spirit's really faithful to do that. Um, take a minute and acknowledge your feelings. Like, how did I feel when this happened? How did I feel when that happened? Write down your feelings. Grieve the losses but also mark the celebrations. I started doing this the other day and I was so blown away by all of the amazing things that had happened last year. And I was like, I didn't see them because for whatever reason, the losses, the disappointments, the pain points, they're always way bigger, right? They can kind of engulf all the joys and then you forget all of the beautiful, fun little things and big things that you got to do or God did in you that year. So then write all these down, make a list if you, somewhere in your phone, on in a journal, whatever it is for you. And then if you're willing, surrender all these things to Jesus and say, Holy Spirit, would you now, as I go into 2023, is there anything you want me to learn from 2022? before I go into 2023. And it's just a discipleship process. It's just a way of growing in your relationship with Jesus. So now to the message. <laughs> I wanted to give you that little tip because sometimes we don't do that. Sometimes we just keep going. We're just one thing after another. Sometimes we feel stuck and we don't stop and reflect. And there's some good things to reflect on. So we're here at the start of 2023. It's a new year with new purpose and new possibilities upon us. We've been watching Anne of Green Gables because it's this old McGinnis tradition. I know everybody at our house is like, oh no, not Anne of Green Gables, but we love Anne of Green Gables. And she says, it's a new day with no mistakes in it yet. <laughs> As we look into 2023, we're looking forward to a new year with all of these possibilities I think about our teenagers, they finished their first semester, they're going in, you're going into your second semester and you're going back to school, maybe Wednesday, maybe tomorrow, I don't know. And it's so easy to get lost in the drama of school and social life, all the changes happening in our lives, the pressures of school and family, and maybe you're just living your best life and you're just ready to go. I don't know, but now's the time to say, how am I gonna go into 2023 
I think about our young adults, their friends, our friends are getting married. We're trying to figure out our careers. Do we do internships? Do we do this kind of school? Do we get this job or that job? Or do we travel? Do we just have fun? What do we do? And those of us who are older, maybe we're a bit more cynical. <laughs> maybe we're a little more battle weary. Maybe it's just another year and we're like, we'll see what God does. You know, I don't know. But we're going to look at a moment in the life of David where he sets his eyes on Jesus or sets his eyes on the Lord and what the Lord is going to do for him. There's a passage in Hebrews 12 that says that we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And it's interesting because David back in the Old Testament didn't have the book of Hebrews and yet there's a story in 1 Samuel 22 where he does that. He's like, you can see him fixing his eyes on God and what God is going to do for him. So as we start today and we dive into the life of David, I'm praying that we can do the same. For those of you who don't know who David was, or you don't know all the stories about who, who David was, what he did, let me give you a few quick bullet points so you can reference him and put him in the larger context of the Bible. David was the great grandson of Ruth, who was a Gentile, a Moabite. And there's a whole book of the Bible just about Ruth. So you can read her story somewhere else, but he's her great grandson or grandson. I can't remember. He was a shepherd boy with sibling and family issues. So if anybody has sibling or family issues, say, ah, I can relate to David. He was a singer, songwriter, and an armor bearer to a tormented king named King Saul. He was a giant slayer. Not many of us can relate to that. I haven't hacked anybody's head off in a while. Thank God. He was married to King Saul's daughter, and he was the best friend of King Saul's son. All at the same time, King Saul is trying to kill him. So he had a complicated life, wouldn't you say? He's also known to D. He goes on to do all sorts of things. He becomes an adulterer, a murderer, and consequently, one of the best confessors of all times. He apologizes. He repents. You can read that in Psalm 51. But he becomes known as a man after God's heart and the great, 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 great something great grandfather of Jesus. This David was an important character in the Old Testament. But today we're picking up the story where David is on the run from his father-in-law, King Saul. David has been anointed king, but he's not serving as king. He has no positional authority. He's in a challenging, in-between place in life. He can't find refuge in his homeland in Israel, but he has to go outside to the Philistines and the Moabites, to Gentile nations, and that's where he finds refuge. And 1 Samuel 22, it says this, David left Gath, that's Philistine territory, and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Adullam means refuge, just so you all know, because that term is going to come up over and over again in the rest of our scripture today. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. 
and all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. Other translations say captain. About 400 men were with him. Like that had to be a big cave or something. <laughs> From there, David went to Mizpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? I love that phrase, and that's what we're going to focus on. Would you um, let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. But the prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold. Go into the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Hereth. So I want to look briefly at six things that happened in that cave. We read them, but sometimes when we're reading scripture, we don't really stop and look at each of those things and say, what could this mean for me? How could this apply to me? So the first thing as said, David's family came to be with him. When they heard about him, they went down to him there. If you've all noticed, this is the first time David's family comes to him. The rest of the time, they had been distant, even hostile, derogatory. Like, what are you doing here, David? Get out of here, David. Oh, where's David? David wasn't invited. There's, they never included David. All of a sudden, David's family is coming to him. We don't know why. We don't know what the motives were, right? Was it that they're finally seeing, oh my goodness, God is with David. We need to be with David. That's a really positive. On our positive day, that's what we say. <laughs> On our cynical day, we're like, they're like, uh-oh, what has David got us into? Now Saul hates us. Nobody likes us. We have to be on the run too. We don't know. Scripture doesn't say. What I love is that David's family is in this story because we all have family in our stories. We all have complicated, messy situations that complicate our lives. Here's what's cool. Regardless of the reason, he takes care of them. He looks out for them but he also sends them away to Moab. <laughs> it's almost like he's recognizing, I want to care for them. They're with me, but I need space to even process maybe how I relate to my family. Isn't that comforting that the heroes in the Bible, they have to take time. They have to figure out how to relate, how to care for their family. The inclusion of this detail reminds me that sometimes we have to set boundaries from our family culture, both the bad and the good, from the roles and expectations of family. And this is a healthy, growing up thing we should do. So in reviewing last year in 2022, I was like, oh my goodness, both of my oldest kids moved out of the house. They went to the dorms, they went up to the avenues, they're out on their own. And it's like, as a parent, you're, it kind of hurts your heart on one hand, but on the other hand, it's like, this is so good. They're learning to be who they need to be. They're figuring out life. They're 
they're going to have their own journey of faith. They're going to have their own friends. They're going to have their own life. And it's good. It's important. Even Jesus, right? Starting at 12 years old. We have 12-year-olds right here in the room. He gets lost in Jerusalem, but he's actually, where is he? He's at the temple. He's learning from the the scholars and the teachers there. It's like you see him growing up and saying, I need to learn things. I need to take initiative. I've got ideas. I've got things. I just, it's part of growing up. It's part of being healthy. It's like Jesus recognized, you see this pattern in the gospels. He recognized I'm part of a kingdom family, which is what we call ourselves here. We're brothers and sisters. And then I have a a biological family, a home family. And even Jesus recognized that, that tension, that part of life. So as we process, as you step into this new year, ask the Holy Spirit to help you discern where you need to care for your family and look out for them and get help and ask the Lord where you need space to learn and relate to them, perhaps in new ways. And also ask about your kingdom family. How am I relating to my brothers and sisters in Christ? And speaking of those brothers and sisters in Christ, observation number two about the cave of Adullam, who did he gather? The distressed, the discontent, and the in debt. Just all the people you want on your team, right? Like when our car breaks down and we want a mechanic to work on our car, what do I say? I go to Google and I'm like, find me the most distressed, discontent, and in-debt mechanic I can find. That's the guy I want working on my car. I don't think so. (laughs) The other day, Zoe over here, raise your hand, Zoe. She's an incredible cheer. She's on a competition cheer team. And I got to go to her showcase And it was so cool just watching them tumble and throw one another in the air and cheer and just this amazing camaraderie and teamwork. But Zoe is level four, level five. She's amazing. It's incredible. They have all this confidence when they're catching one another and she's being caught. But then the little level one, the beginners come out and I could just hardly watch. I'm like, ooh, because they're, They're throwing each other in the air and barely catching one another and barely. And I'm just like, ah, this is as dangerous as all the other sports. (laughs) That's a level one. I don't want to be on team one when I start. (laughs) But you know what? I am level one. I don't know how to catch anybody on a cheer squad. And then the other day, here's another example of the discontented, in my opinion, Chris and Aaron were talking about the 49ers and the Buccaneer football game. And they're talking about this game and how surprising it was because Mr. Irrelevant on the 49ers beat Tom Brady. And I was just like, why are they calling this guy Mr. Irrelevant? And I'm like, this is rude. This is mean. Stop calling this guy Mr. Irrelevant. And for those of you who don't know, it's a football turn for the last guy picked in the NFL draft. They call him Mr. Irrelevant, and he just whooped up on Tom Brady. Go, go, Mr. Irrelevant. What's my point? (laughs) In the cave of Adullam, in the place where you need refuge, (laughs) 
you're going to be gathered with a bunch of level one cheerleaders, <laughs> a bunch of discontents, in debt, distressed Mr. Irrelevance. And you know what? The good news is, is that God has got us there. That's the, those are the people. We are the people. I am level one. I am in distress. I am this irrelevant. We are the ones that God gathers and he does something with us. The gospels record that Jesus gathered multitudes of invalids, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, and many oppressed by demons. Luke 5, 31 through 32, it says it this way. Health, Jesus says this. He says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Oh, what a relief. What a relief. I can be honest. I need Jesus. I need a doctor. I need the grace of God. I need the cave of Adullam. I can fit with David's crew in this place where I need refuge. And I'm going to have lots of grace and generosity for all of the level one Mr. Irrelevance all around me. Amen? A third observation. David became their captain. I think because of that description of the in-debt, in-distress, discontents, I kind of imagine this anarchist mob <laughs> descending on the cave of Adullam. Like just this, all these crazy individualistic people. And then I realized, no. I don't think so, because they were willing to submit and to surrender and follow David and the anointing and call in David's life. It's like they were, they were ready to come into order. And that made me wonder, am I willing to submit? Am I willing to listen to somebody else's authority? Am I willing to follow someone else? It's so easy in our American culture to just be a bunch of individual authorities doing our own thing. But the question is, is who do I follow? Who do I, who do I listen to? It's a good question to journal for 2023. I'm not asking anyone to be stupid or throw logic out the window or follow any human blindly. Please don't get that. But am I my own authority? Are you your own authority? Are you willing to submit to the counsel and direction of others? I'm suggesting as you head into 2023 that you need community. You need people to follow. Teenagers, you need parents and teachers and adults. Students and adults, we need trusted voices in our lives that we can follow. People in the flesh, it's so easy to follow that incredible influencer on social media, media. It's so easy to follow somebody on YouTube. I mean, I, I follow some people on YouTube and Spotify. I do, and podcasts, I do. But who are the real people in my life who can speak to me and say, hey, what about this? What about that? 
What, what kind of ideology are you following? What kind of questions are you asking? It's like, oh, thanks for asking me that. Thanks for challenging me. Thanks for asking questions. Who is your captain? Who are you following? The fourth, the fourth observation. It's in the cave of Adullam, that temporary place of refuge, that gathering place of discontents, that God prepares you for what's next. But you are presented with a choice. Am I going to do things my way? Or I'm going to wait for God and see what God does. That statement, when David says to the king of Moab, can you wait? Can my father and mother hang with you for a bit? Until I see, until I learn what God will do for me. Can we have that patience? Can you have that patience to say, let's hold tight here until we learn what God is going to do. I stand here as, a, as an individual, as a daughter, a mother, a wife, a sister, a friend. And personally, hey, I've got flaws. I've got issues. I've got things I'm asking the Lord to change in my life. And I'm asking my friends and my family and everyone, until my enemies are sorted out <laughs> and I rest here abiding in Christ, please be patient until I learn what God will do for me. And then I stand here as a shepherd and a leader and a teacher in this kingdom family that meets here at 615 East on Sega Lily. There's so much I want to accomplish, so much I want to do. I've got big dreams. I've got big vision. But I feel like David. I'm like, we're God's people on a kingdom mission. But sometimes we have to sit and we have to be patient. And we have to say, let's hang tight here for a bit until we learn what God will do for us as a church body. And then you were here today. You were created and designed by God for a unique purpose. There's no one anywhere on earth exactly like you. No one. Not in the past, not in the present or the future. No one can accomplish the purpose that God has given you for your life. And yet you have insecurities, you have weaknesses, you have compulsions and fears and insecurities. And I'm challenging you today, find a place of refuge, run to your refuge in Christ and make a declaration out loud to all of everyone around you. Wait until I learn what God will do for me. And then here we are as a community. Could we be a community that embraces the level one distressed, in debt, discontent, bitter of soul? Bitter of soul is the other word that describes discontent. And that, this is, we are tough people. But could we be a kingdom family and community that says to one another, we will wait for you until we learn what God will do for you. Do we say that to one another? We're going to wait for you. We're going to wait and see what God does in your life. The fifth thing David does in the 
cave of Adullam is he prays. He prays and he sings a lot. You know, he's a singer-songwriter, lots of songs. We have two psalms, which are really prayers that are sung, Psalm 57 and Psalm 142. These are prayers that are sung. I like what Sky Jatani says about prayer. He says this, prayer is not merely how we express ourselves to God, and it's not how we passively wait for God to do something in us. Instead, true prayer is communion and cooperation with God. It's this mysterious push and pull, give and take action and reaction of a creator and a creature as we act upon each other. My favorite thing about this book, it's called, um, If Jesus Were Serious About, What If Jesus Was Serious About Prayer? Is it has lots of cartoons in it. My kids are tired of me talking about it because I just love all the cartoons and graphics in this book. But he has this little graphic. Sometimes we want to spend all our times in prayer and we have little action. And that's when we can move into passivity in life where we just, we're just like, nah, not doing anything. Other times we never pray and we are out doing all the things, huffing and puffing and getting it done, which can turn into pride. But there's this beautiful place of prayer and action that creates power that comes from the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit power. You can read about it in John 15, where when we abide in Christ, there's all this incredible stuff happen where God does things in us and through us and for us. And we get to do things with God because we're in this abiding place where there's power, Holy Spirit power, not self-power, not power to control other things and other people, but the Holy Spirit's power at work in us. David wasn't passive in that place of refuge. He wasn't prideful either, or I bet he was at different points. Honestly, he's human just like us, but he was dealing with God. He was in this push-pull He stepped into it, the give and take, the action and reaction to his creator. I want to read Psalm 142. It's a contemplation of David, a prayer when he was in the cave. He says, I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path in the way in which I walk. They have secretly set a snare for me. Look at my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. He might have been the bitterest of all the bitter ones. (laughs) I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. Do you ever feel like your soul is kind of trapped? Your feelings, your emotions, your mind is stuck. You can pray this prayer. Lord, bring my soul out of prison that I can praise your name. And the righteous will surround me for you have dealt bountifully with me. I love how he says, my spirit grows faint 
but it's God knows the way. And the only one who can satisfy me is God. God is my refuge. God is my portion. Bring my soul out of prison. The next Psalm, Psalm 57. We put Psalm 57 up. 57 up. The instructions say, to the chief musician, set to the tune, do not destroy. Like, what kind of tune was that? Was it thrasher music or was it the complete opposite of thrasher music? I don't know. But this is the song he was singing to the tune of Do Not Destroy when he fled from Saul into the cave. He prays this, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you and in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by, I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. Now keep in mind, he wrote this song when he was in the cave. So are 400 men singing this with him? Imagine that choir. I don't know. Did they learn it in small groups around different campfires? I don't know, but was this the song they were singing together? Then they sing the bitter part. My soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongues a sharp sword. Skipping to verse seven, he speaks to himself. He says, my heart is steadfast. Oh God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake my glory, awake lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing to you among the peoples. Okay, didn't read that quite correct, but that's okay. For your mercy reaches into the heavens and your truth into the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. David cries out, he says, I will cry out to God who performs all things for me. We can be so self-sufficient. We can be so I got to figure this out in this cave. I got to figure this crew of 400 crazies around me. We have to figure this out. And instead we can say, let's wait until we see what God, what the Lord will do for us. Let's trust in the Lord who performs all things for us. Let's wait on Jesus. And in the meantime, let's sing and make music and praise the Lord among the Moabites and the Philistines and Saul, our own family who's coming after us. I want to close with a reminder of the word that Aaron brought us a couple weeks ago during worship. He was reflecting on the last three years and he felt like God was saying this to us. He said, thinking of 2020, that's the year when we were all on fire <laughs> and we were all crazy. Remember that year? He said, I was thinking about the year of crisis that we all lived through and came through. Then we had 2021. It was felt like a year of emerging and assessing where we are at. And I, he said, I feel like what the Lord's done in 2022 is he's taken us to a place of alignment, aligning ourselves with Christ, positioning ourselves on Christ and aligning ourselves with one another. This year has been about bringing things into alignment. And I believe that as we go into the year 2023, the Lord wants to begin adding and accelerating in us. 
So the sixth observation about the cave of Adullam is that David leaves it. The prophet comes to him and he says, do not stay in the stronghold. Go into the land of Judah. So David went to the forest of Hereth. The land of Judah represented David's inheritance, his calling, where he was supposed to go. I think in life, we go through lots of different cycles and, and journeys in our life with God. There are times when we're anointed like David. There are times when we're killing Goliaths. There are times when we're getting married and having friendships like um, David with his wife and David with um, Jonathan. And then there are times when we hit a wall and we end up in a cave of Adullam. And in that place, I just want to encourage us to say, wait until I see what the Lord is going to do. Let's wait and see what the Lord is going to do for us. But then let's remember to get up and go when the prophet says, okay, let's get up and go. Let's walk into our inheritance. I am praying that 2023 is that for us. A year when we can step further into the land of Judah. And Judah means praise. Don't forget. But we can step into a new place in our lives where we can praise the Lord among all peoples, among all nations. So if you'd like, would you stand with me now? And I'm going to pray a blessing as we close out our service. Um, in 2023, Lord, I pray that we would be a people that find ourselves taking refuge in God, in the place of prayer and action, the mysterious push and pull. Help us grow with our families, our natural families and our spiritual families. Help us find the right leaders to follow and serve. And may we be a people that are declaring to all people and all nations, look what the Lord will do for us. We're waiting to see what the Lord will do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all as you go.